Stability Don't take yourself too seriously. We stand on our shoulders as a The only loss Breathe. in life is not realizing Stability your potential. Build the world you want to see. Yeah! Sky King's Mental Playground. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Been a long time in the making. Nice to meet you, David. Logan and Hutch had a blast in Austin. That was very fun. I don't know if you guys know this, but the next day, Dan came over to my house and we had left a rotisserie chicken in our trash can and it got full of maggots. And then like my fiance, Carolyn, is like pulling the trash out. And then Dan was like walking over to the kitchen. And if you remember, like our AC was broken. It was like 105 degrees. I'm sure Logan remembers because he's on the beanbag. But <laughs> but like in all these maggots. And Dan is like freaking out. Like, why are there maggots everywhere? It was the worst, worst experience of my life for like a for a hangover. So I'm glad you missed that stuff. But welcome to the show. Glad we can finally <laughs> do that. And now to get into a serious note, we like to go deep on Sky King's Mental Playground. And you guys have a, a, a manifesto, a mission. It's that you believe truth is the ally of progress. Can you can you break that down for me? Sure. So, so yeah, our mission at Zeitgeist is truth is the ally of progress. And we, we kind of have two halves of that statement. So one is truth, which we see represented through the tech of prediction markets. And the other side is progress, which is where we want to take the, the tech and apply it to governance solutions in the blockchain space and outside of the blockchain space. And the... The hope, and we think this is also backed by the, the literature and studies that have been done in the past, is that we can use prediction markets to amplify and help us make better decision-making in decentralized organizations and just organizations in general. Yeah, this is a this is a topic that I, I end up talking about a lot on this podcast. Since a young age, I've been obsessed with Asia. I convinced my parents to send me there for the first time in fourth grade. We went there for a month. And that caused me to learn a lot about Mao and learn a lot about like Deng Xiaoping and all this stuff. And it really feels like, you know, what happened when we had... Because it, it wasn't even like the communist revolution where all the people died. It actually was when Mao thought pervaded and it didn't allow for people to have honest conversations about the agrarian standards at the time and what was happening and then you know 16 to 100 million people died this is a very consequential thing and it feels like you know in culture right now with our media systems we are becoming increasingly detached from truth yeah that's that's another big thing that that we noticed as well especially as it relates to the news especially recently there's been a lot of bias going into the news and just current events that are happening and the interesting aspect of prediction markets is that it's it's not totally free from bias but it's it's the mechanism prevents bias from kind of make, prevents bias from kind of making its way in the people who who might have bias who might try to manipulate the markets will get arbitraged and traded by people who have just better knowledge in the market and the the individuals who have better knowledge will be the ones who ultimately, you know, win in that market, win in other markets and have a longer track record of, of winning in markets. For sure. A little bit of skin in the game, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into more later. Would you guys mind just walking through a quick intro of a like, quick high level of Zeitgeist and then, because we'll go a lot deeper later, and then each of your roles and how you play within the space? Sure. So I'll, I'll go ahead and kick it off. So, so Zeitgeist is a prediction market 
blockchain were built using Substrate, which is the Polkadot framework for building blockchains. And we're currently deployed on the Kusama parachain, which is like Polkadot's sister relay chain. So same code as Polkadot, just a different deployment of it. So yeah, like you mentioned at the beginning, our mission is that truth is the ally of progress. So we're we're building the prediction market tech, not just for ourselves, but in a, like as an open source protocol so that others can come and use it and come and leverage that for their own applications. And then we, we think the applying the tech to governance has a lot of potential. So my role at Zeitgeist is CEO and founder. My background, so I've been in the crypto space since about uh, late 2016, early tw- uh, 2017. So kind of right before the CEO boom, but, but right after the DAO hack. Started in the Ethereum community, kind of building dApps, working on products, spent some time building a decentralized scheduling protocol. So the ability to schedule transactions and have them executed by kind of like a decentralized network of nodes called the Ethereum alarm clock. And then found my way to to Polkadot and Substrate and the and joined the Web3 Foundation in early early 2018 or sorry early 2019 2019 yeah, yeah. yeah 2019 stayed there for two years helped to helped around like ops for the kusama and polka dot launches and then left early last year to start zeitgeist with hutch and david sweet david you want to pop in next yeah definitely so um, david perry i got my start so career-wise i started out as a technologist I started a little web design company back in the dot-com boom way back then and uh, it was really in 2004 that i learned about prediction markets and got in touch with robin the economist at george mason who's uh, really did the earliest thinking and writing is, is, is the godfather of prediction markets. Can, can I pop in real quick? Just, just yeah. so you know, we've had Robin Hanson on the podcast before, so oh. people are semi-familiar, but that conversation I, was really good, but brutal because that guy is hard to talk to because he's like so smart. <laughs> Robin Robin is definitely, yeah, extremely smart and, and, and very sincere. You know, I've loved working with him through the years. And but yeah, Robin actually connected me with a guy named Ken Kitlitz. Ken and I started a company called Consensus Point with a mission to drive adoption of prediction markets, mainly in the corporate and enterprise spaces. And so we did that for several years. And in 2011, went to work for the US government, building out a, a next-gen prediction market system using combinatorics and, and Bayesian networks to, to to solve, you know, very complex intelligence problems, you know, information aggregation problems for the intelligence community. In 20, 2011, I got into to, to Bitcoin, but it wasn't until Ethereum came along where I got professionally involved in the in the blockchain world, started really paying attention to Augur and Gnosis. It was through my conversation with the Gnosis team that I got introduced to Consensus, where I went to work helping build out that company and working with a lot of teams in the the Ethereum ecosystem. And then, you know, Hutch and I had known each other for for quite a while, and then started talking about working together. And then found out Logan was also interested in working on prediction markets, which is how the three of us got together a, a few years ago. Sweet, Hutch. What's up? Hey, how's it going? <clears throat> so what is yeah, your um, yeah, Go for it. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, my current role at Zeitgeist is a CMO. So I'm leading up kind of everything to do with community building and marketing at Zeitgeist around the whole protocol and around the community. My background uh, started similarly in time as Logan started 
and, and David in the crypto space professional manner. Started out with a, a in a project called status.im in the Ethereum community. Did community management with them for about almost two years. And then early 2019, actually the same week that Logan joined the Web3 Foundation, I was joining, but to help out with building the community for Polkadot. Spent about almost three years at Web3 Foundation helping build the community for Polkadot. Put together the Polkadot Ambassador Program. Had my hands in lots of different initiatives with Polkadot. And got to know the community, got, got to know the ecosystem. So it was really, really awesome whenever, you know, basically the beginning of 2021, me and David just were by chance catching up after a while. And we were talking about the need for a prediction market ecosystem in Dotsama. And then it just, like like David was just talking about, it just so happened that Logan was actually already building this. We were both still at Web3 Foundation at the time. And then it just made sense for us all three come together and work on Zeitgeist together. So that's me and my background. Sick, man. David, question. Did you happen to work at all with, with Eli Lilly on the prediction market? Because like, I, and I was researching prediction markets that came up and both Dan Reeser and I, that's where we met. We worked at Eli Lilly together and saw that in 2005, they had a prediction market internally for drug development, which I found fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great use case. Not directly. No, I'm very familiar with the Eli Lilly use case. It was actually provided by a company called News Futures that did some early work back in the early 2000s. But yeah, drug development and, and generally resource allocation, when you have these really large, expensive, complex decisions that you're making while you're developing drugs is, is, a, is a great use case for prediction markets for sure. Yeah, that Eli really did some important work, you know, in, in the early days. Yeah, I was texting Dan about that today because we were both pretty surprised since being internally there, it feels like they tend to be very conservative in what they tend to adopt, not on the cutting edge, but I'm stoked that they did that. Yeah, for sure. Since we've kind of danced around a, lot, a, bit, a little bit, I'd love, and whoever wants to take this, to go into just, let's go into prediction markets. Like, what what is a prediction market? Well, I'll start out. I mean, a prediction market is a speculative market. And you know, of course, speculative, these markets have been around for a long time, a very long time, you know, millennia, in fact. But the idea of prediction markets are that you can actually design them to produce information on purpose. You know, a lot of times in, in markets, the, the information qualities are kind of a byproduct, but prediction markets, also known as info markets, are, are designed so that you can elicit this information purposefully and, and, and create a, use a market as an information machine so you can get insight into you know, the, the future state of the world, largely because you're, you're looking to inform a decision-making, you know, a decision-making process. And so Mark allow you to ask questions of what do you think the world's going to look like? And then you can use money to invest in outcomes that you think are more, more likely. And then as people do that, then these prices represent the probability of those underlying events taking place. This, this is one of those things where, you know, doing research on it, there is like a massive history in it. Like, Examples being, I think, something about like people were betting on which pope was going to win, like in the 1500s and stuff like that. And they think it was happening like far before that. Yep. Or I also saw that by a certain point, it was like something close to 50% of the amount of money that was spent on all presidential campaigns was also spent on people trying to guess on who would actually be president in the United States. And yep. it, but But we have this problem as humans where we tend to think present state reality like last 10 years is fixed i think 
And so have you guys butted up against people who are like, that could never work. It hasn't worked. It doesn't make sense. People wouldn't do that. And like, how do you respond to straw man detractors of the concept? Yeah, well, I've uh, quick thought about that. I'd love to hear Logan and Hutch. But yeah, there, it is a mind shift. You know, something, an example Robin uses is that prediction markets are kind of like how the world would have looked when cost accounting came into existence. So before the days of cost accounting, you would just like, if you were to propose that, hey, we should we should write this down in like a double entry bookkeeping, bookkeeping system so we could keep track of things. And, and you would have been looked at with suspicion to say, hey, you, you know, you call me a liar or a cheat or something like that. But now, you know, since that's the, the norm, the status quo, if you, if you, you know, suggest the idea of not doing cost accounting, you would be looked at as a cheat, you know, a cheat or, you know, something like that. So it's kind of the same way with prediction markets that is that, you know, in the, in the early days of things like insurance, they were seen as immoral, you know, because, you know, life insurance was effectively betting on death and how, you know, how could this be? But now, of course, with, you know, the advantage of many, many, uh, many years, hundreds of years, we, we see that there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, rational and economic utility in these kinds of things. And, and so we're, we're in the middle of that with prediction markets. There's a lot of, you know, people that are aware of them, have used them, are open to them, but it's still a work in progress. And it's going to, you know, it's going to play out over the next, you know, years and decades even. Logan or Hutch, do you have any any other thoughts on that? Yeah, the other thing I want to I want to point out is that even though prediction markets are kind of a new tech, a, a new application of tech, they do have at this point around two decades of of research done and some ex- examples of corporate governance that have used prediction markets. Some of that work David's done in the past himself in his past ventures. So I think even though it, even though it's in a kind of a new paradigm to think about, you know, using markets as a information source, there has been already some studies and some research and some examples of that. Hutch, how are you thinking about from like a marketing perspective, messaging and adoption around this? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I think it's based more around probably what phase that we are and where we're at with Zeitgeist. Like where we're at now is, you know, very, very concentrated inside of the crypto community. There's a lot of really cool and exciting things that we're seeing people inside of the crypto community come up come up with because of that as well. So I'm really thinking about like the marketing from the marketing perspective, thinking about doing things with Zeitgeist at the right moment in time, as you know, we continue to implement new features and functionalities. And we also implement more adoption across the crypto ecosystem beyond just ourselves. Uh, we'll kind of continue to, to push down harder on getting the kind of adoption that we, we want to see with marketing. But we also want to grow a really like qualitative community around what we're building with Zeitgeist because there's a lot of really, like I think, prominent advantages of the crypto community getting familiar with information markets and, and what they can help like shine light on some things that are otherwise just left up to like, you know, what friend circles you're in or what or who like altered your mind to think one way about whatever. You know, and 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 I also wanted to note that like prediction markets aren't aren't always perfect at this either, but it's a lot better than the kind of like status quo of just information being out there and not having this clear signal on it. So that's partly how I'm thinking about marketing with Zeitgeist. I think I started around like 2015, 2016 is when I first like kind of clued into the concept of prediction markets. And it was because I had 
this goal. I think it was either after reading Ray Dalio or Robert Green. I think it was Robert Green, maybe. And it was this this idea of I'm I'm never going to be perfectly rational, and I'm not like uh, my perspective won't allow me to see reality. But if I can see more clearly into quote unquote what reality is, like I will make better decisions. And that seems like, and it's again, it's not this perfect thing. This is going to work. It's this is going to trend me towards that place. And then I'll be a more effective human. Have you guys like implemented, used, and maybe David, you have in corporate things you'd like to talk about of, of ways that have, that has actually manifested that you can speak to? Because I do think people, when they don't have a good example, might not know exactly how that could be applied. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and there's this, you know, as you point out, you know, prediction markets are very intellectual, intellectually stimulating and, and, and powerful idea that many people when they when they discover them, find quite compelling. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have been working in this space for, as Logan pointed out, a few decades now. And I think there's this belief because, you know, prediction market solutions, some of them have come and gone. And so you there's the question out there, of you know, what, are these effective? Do they work? You know, do they have staying power? And and in my experience, it's absolutely. You know, we we could look at example of you know General Electric that was our our first customer actually in my previous company, Consensus Point. Worked with several other businesses. Their research businesses business implemented prediction markets and and cut time to market in half in in some projects that they use prediction markets on other other examples are the semiconductor industry using prediction markets to get insight into you know market demand signals for decisions on wafer starts you know we worked with a lot of retail companies like target and best buy to get uh, also consumer insight information to help them make better merchandising and purchasing decisions so there's really been a lot of of activity and a lot of economic you know value creation directly from prediction markets but you know it's 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 as we've been talking about you know the features here it's just not evenly distributed and evenly known you know by a lot of people there's something that's happening if anybody else wants to add jump in if not i'll move on again nope cool okay there's there's something that's happening in our culture and it's really coming to light to me in the last two years and not to like go deep into COVID stuff where they're either like massive news organizations where or governmental bodies were incredibly wrong about a lot of the decisions they made, but there was no accountability and now they just move forward. And like as a culture, we just move forward. Is there an opportunity for prediction markets to like show how good people are at predicting things and like have some sort of like net score so that you can like, okay, this person is saying something, they have been right this many times before and put like skin in the game to be right. That to me sounds like something to be very good to help people know who to listen to and how to like make sense of, of, of the world. Yeah. So, so I thought I would speak to something that we're trying to implement and, and we've already started to implement on Zeitgeist, which is reputation inside of our application that we've built. So this kind of goes right along with what you're talking about, where over time, you know, people can prove their track record is in this specific one domain that they're this because they've been right this many times about whatever we we're hoping to make a place where people can build their reputation out based on on different things like that so so that's 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 one aspect of just the, the application that we're building and deploying on site guys can can help do that but there's also you know the, you have to get the right people in the room with the right knowledge and the right 
even you know money to put on the line for the the information to come out there so it's it's you really we we will we'll definitely have to work on making like efficient markets around around different things for them to produce a valid signal even as well yeah and and to your point sky like i think you know as as we we're learning about COVID and what that was, what that meant for us and what we needed to do to prepare for it and stay safe, you know, against it. It would have been great if the commentators, the people in the, in the medical community had a venue to put their money where their mouth is people, you know, writing articles. I think this is going to happen. That's not going to happen. You know, we see a world where content creators and, and people that, that consume this information can come and look and, and see, okay, well, here's what you say, but is that what you, you know, actually believe. And you know, in, in, in markets, you're either self-aware, or you're broke, you know, so that, that, you know, over time has a way of, you know, separating the, 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 the rational people who are actually making, you know, providing info t- to the market separates them from, you know, just the, the noise, you know, that, that take away information. And could we go a little bit, not too technical, but a little bit more technical into what, type of prediction market zeitgeist is what types other types that that have existed that do exist sure so so zeitgeist is a decentralized prediction market um so what that kind of means is that the infrastructure it runs on is is blockchain based it's decentralized but it's also permissionless so that anyone can come and create a market fund that market and get interesting insight on on what they want to know through that market. So there's uh, there has been like other decentralized prediction market projects in the past. I think we've mentioned a couple of them earlier. Things like Augur, Gnosis have been built on the Ethereum blockchain. One one and then and then uh, yeah, just to kind of complete the survey and then there's been kind of a long history of like centralized providers like you know uh, Long history of bookies, of academic markets, not always real money markets, but sometimes play money markets, which also have have seen some adoption. One of one examples of one example of that is something like Metaculus, which is almost entirely reputational based. So the people who are participating there aren't profiting in profiting in real money, but are increasing their reputation on each of the markets. And then, yeah, the way we kind of differentiate ourselves from prior decentralized prediction markets is our focus on governance, both over the protocol as well as applying prediction markets to that. David, did you want to add to that? Actually, I raised my hand by accident when I was, oh, okay. Um, okay. When I was like, cool, that's a cool anyway, function. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Cool. No worries. No worries. Yeah. Is the, the stock market at some abstraction is a prediction market, right? It is, yeah. Well, I, this is another thing, like human psychology wise. I just don't understand why people struggle with with the concept so much, or why it becomes like moralized. Yeah, I don't know. I think you know, it, it's a it's a good question. Honestly, if I if I had a better, you know, sense for sense for it, then you know, maybe it would. I, I think it's just it's people see these as as you know, gambling, which you know, it's it's kind of like other other probabilistic enterprises where, you know, it could be gambling in some instances, but, you know, that's, that's certainly not the focus, you know, for, for us, ours is, is just be able to aggregate insight. And, but yeah, you know, as I said, with the insurance example, you know, when these things come out, they have a 
tendency to be off-putting to some people, you know, thinking that, you know, people are just kind of, you know, betting on, on these macabre, you know, uh, events, but they're really, you know, when it comes to the actual function of markets, which is to be a warehouse for risk and, and a way to manage risk, then I think, you know, those people understand what prediction markets are all about. Yeah, I, to follow that up, I would I would say like both prediction markets and something and and this and financial markets operate under kind of the same mechanism of the market exchange trading mechanism. But I would say something like the stock market kind of falls under more of like a financial market, and financial markets implicitly do have predictions in them. Something like the stock market implicitly has predictions over the success failures of. The companies that that's tracking, as, as well as a lot of other things to do with that company's particular business, but the the kind of distinguishing thing about prediction markets is that you can explicitly create a market based on predictions. So, to take an example of to take an example of that, we can have a market on. So, so we have like the we have the financial market on like Microsoft stock, for instance, and that implicitly has predictions on the business that Microsoft is operating and it's running. But a, a prediction market could do something like uh, when, when Microsoft acquired GitHub, for example, there could, there could be a prediction market trading on whether or not users will leave GitHub because there's now some, something of like a perception that a big corporate owns, owns an open source code platform or not. And then, so while that was kind of implicit in Microsoft stock, the prediction market is able to give us a lot more direct insight into like one particular aspect like that. I could see one right now on Figma and Adobe. Like will Figma destroy Adobe or will like will Figma now cost $87 per month or something like that? How do you guys think about timelines of prediction markets? Like like do you think I mean, I, if it's decentralized permissionless, like I could come in and set like set like a. I guess it's very decentralized, and I just thought of an extreme example. Like I believe the sun's going to explode in a million years. Like then I create liquidity for that, but probably nobody takes it, right? So that's basically like self-regulating. Right. Well, I guess there's a, there's a lot of ways to to look at the the. Time horizons. I mean, when you compare prediction markets to, to any other information aggregation mechanism like surveys and polls to, to committee meetings and, and, you know, focus groups, prediction markets do at least as good at the worst case and, and in the best case, you know, vastly outperform them. And more so the longer the time horizon is. So, you know, in an election scenario, polls and markets, you know, are fairly comparable in the, in the days and even weeks up to the election, but when you get into the into the many weeks, months, and, and years, prediction markets are, are far and away adept at at getting getting the the opinions of of the participants. And so, really, what that means is that you know the markets on on the Zeitgeist platform, which was launched this week, and and there are a, a good number of markets being created at this point, which we love seeing. You know, and some of them are. Very short-term markets that will resolve in a, in a day or two, and others will have that you know longer horizon of, of weeks and months, if not not longer. So it's just a mix. Yeah. Also, just big congratulations to you guys that the products out there. I got to I jumped in today and like played around with it a little bit. I want to set up some of my own because it sounds pretty fun. That's that's one thing that I think people really in, I think a lot about game design and media 
And it's one thing I think people really underestimate is how much more fun this makes. Like anybody who's done sports betting knows the game is way more exciting when you have something on the line, even if it's $5, because then it validates again that you were right and somebody else was wrong. And you can prove it because they'd give you a little money, which is nice. Absolutely. Uh, but I just, I'm all about making technology and things more fun while simultaneously more sincere and more reality. And so I do like prediction markets for that. I also, I saw one of the things that was, was will AUSD stabilize? So I thought that was pretty funny. Shot that over to Dan. It was, it was affirmative, which is good for the Akala, Akala boys. But but yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool use cases there. Yeah, it's a really it's a really good use case for just finding information about news in general, right? So like we see a big value out of lots of what the crypto community are talking about all the time. And we really think that creating like we're working on different ways to create feedback loops within people who report on the news and think about the news all the time and then how to relate the information markets about future news back to those people so that they have like these clearer signals about maybe something that happened or it also gives people an insight into the just in general like what what the pulse of the feeling about things are and then it in effect like what i'm hoping that becomes is that the you know the futarchy starts to kind of like come out of the woodwork with that where people are like okay this is going on with governance and now we've got this these ideas around this so that's 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 the exciting part about prediction markets and about for me it clicked whenever it's it's like simplified and like okay it's future information right trading on future information which is a market just like other markets and that you know i think it's even simpler just saying that than prediction markets because people are like, oh, what is that sports betting? But it's like any future information. So yeah. You just mentioned Futarchy. Can we jump into what that is? So Futarchy is the concept of using prediction markets to govern something. Right. So in this case, like this is why we've built part of why we built Zeitgeist is to use prediction markets to create binding changes on the protocol itself and on how the system upgrades. So this is very much a, a, a super interesting, like I've watched debates about why Futarchy is good, why it's bad. And I'm I, like, I'm still, it's a really just a, a pretty deep concept, but it, it has some really big implications on how things are governed and how to, because, you know, there's, there's some implicit like issues with, you know, different, with, with all governance systems, right? It's not just there's one governance system that's like best, right? But like Futarchy allows you to get signals from future information to make, to remove bias from governance decisions and make decisions based on that. So wow. in, oh, go for it. I, I was just going to say, just one of the things I, I love about Futarchy is that you know we've all been in situations, maybe, you know, in, in a previous jobs or where we've been in a meeting and we, feel like we know what the, the the answer is in terms of the approach that that the company should take but there's there's someone either with you know political power or maybe charisma that that sways the decision you know and that's what really you know is exciting i think about futarchy is is giving people who know a voice you know and and making that process more equitable the other thing is that as governance scales like becomes harder and harder to do like so i mean Traditional governance, like voting systems, for instance, like voting. So the way it kind of works in the U.S. is like you elect representatives and you elect senators and, and they're the ones actually kind of, you know, out there making policy. And, you know, they, they aren't kind of 
held to do what they said they would do, like when you elected them, you hope they will. And if they don't, then you won't vote for them again. But it, my, my point is that as things scale, it's the system is harder and harder to do. It's harder to count votes. It's harder to make sure people have people are responsible for the things they said they would do. The nice thing about prediction markets and the market mechanism is that it scales out to as many participants that want to participate. And it gives everybody a, a say equal to as much as they're willing to stake into that market. So it does, it does kind of mean that if you have more money, you can kind of have a bigger say in that market. But it also means if you're wrong, you'll lose that money over time. And the people who are right, even if they start out with less money, can make money over time and, and have a bigger say. I wonder if there's also a, a like, and this is very hard to prove, but like a disassociative effect to it. To one, I think one of the fundamental flaws of humans right now is when you're wrong, it's actually like a moral statement that you're wrong or people feel that way because their credibility is now less like publicly. But if you could just like, and it's very associated with their identity, but if you could just lose the money and then try to see reality a little bit more, it seems like something where people would maybe take being wrong less personally because they can get better over time. And it's not just this unquantifiable social credit score that you have internally amongst other people. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I would love to see, you know, some of the people that are touting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, of conspiracy theories. I think they're really entertaining. But, you know, when they get kind of outsized in their influence in the media, you know, I'd love to see some of the folks that, that are promoting these these highly, you know, conspiratorial schemes to see how they would act in markets that where you could you could actually put money onto what you're claiming. And, and you know, if if and when over time, they're, they're found out to be, you know, maybe less informed than they realize, then I, I do think it would be, you know, great for them to, to come to that awareness. Without yeah, there was this really, really insightful thing that a guy on our team, Nathan, told me the first time that I ever talked to him before he joined the team was that he feels like when prediction markets are realized and they're like ultimate form or like adopted, I mean, when prediction markets are ultimately adopted, like widespread, and they're as easy as they're as easy to use as a stock market, like anywhere that he thinks that the future of news will change forever then because all these biased journalists who come in and like, they're just conflate, they're like feeding their ego more with like fake stories or whatever it is to like continue that will, will change, which I was like, that, that just kind of blew my mind. And I still don't know like how much I even believe that because people also like to believe bullshit. Like that's just something that sometimes people just, they don't care if it's the truth or not. Right. So that's like the, the opposite side of that. But I thought it was a really interesting concept that he brought up. And I was like, it makes you think a little bit deeper about these things. I mean, uh, I think they'll care if they put money on the line because they trusted somebody and he lost the money. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the that's where it starts. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. But, but whether whether or not they'll be convinced, that's the you yeah. know. But you know, that's a different story. <laughs> as as Robin points out, prediction markets are on tax on bullshit. So we'll still have bullshit, bullshit in the future, but uh, it'll at least Zeitgeist is going to help make bullshit more expensive. It's funny because we're kind of like I'm approaching a very similar problem with what I'm working just starting to build right now. And it's because I look at the influence of advertising because advertisers are the customer of media, not the consumers of media, not as in the consumers are not the customers. The advertisers are because they're the ones who are paying for it. And like, 
if we could change that model or even if it could be, you know, have some accountability with the prediction market, like we would live in a closer to reality world. So very near and dear to my heart there. And I, yeah. I think having the ability to put skin in the game. I, yeah. I'd lo- I, I know there's a, a bit of a delay, but I'd love to see ads that look that make the claims along the lines of, hey, try our product. We bet that it'll, it's going to produce this outcome for you else, you know, we'll pay you. You know, I think we, we can expect to see things like that in the future. That sounds like I'm, I, I want to live in like a crazy, like cyberpunk. What's that? Shoot. I'm totally blanking on the movie. Like the, like a crazy, like cyberpunk future, like Neo Tokyo vibes. But the problem is every time you see those worlds, it's all ads, like all over everywhere. And that just like breaks my heart. Like no place breaks my heart, like Times Square. So if people were actually getting paid for that, that would be, that would be better. Plus there'd probably be less of them because they would be wrong more. Right. How much have you guys like gone into Austrian economics, Hayek, that stuff? This is a question I actually asked Robin on our podcast too, because I was curious why he thought I was an economics major or we didn't touch Austrian at all, pure Keynesian and then into statistics, which was cool. But a lot of the theory was, you know, Keynesian based. And I asked him like why he thought Hayek and Austrian wasn't as taught. Do you guys have any thoughts there? Totally cool. If not, his his answer was he didn't find it to be actionable, and so it made it difficult for people to grade. And so, like, just even that small thing within the academia made it less kind of prolific as a concept, which I thought was a pretty interesting answer because he felt like it was more of a philosophy. Yeah, I Are think you- I, I I could see that sounds plausible to me that, you know, it is kind of a very abstract philosophical, you know, kind of approach than, than, than something like Keynesianism. But yeah, Hayek has certainly been an influence on me. I've, I've read a, a good amount. It's been a few years and I, I need to, to, to read, to read more, but I think it's just the, the, for me anyway, is just the, the information aggregation potential in markets and, and the improve, the improvement on decision-making, which is kind of what got me into it for sure let's talk about validation so how do we so let's say people bet on something how do we then verify it actually happened yeah that's a good question so when when you when a market creator creates a market it's it's very important that they specify what the source will be for that outcome so a lot of the times, like in the markets we've seen on the platform so far, people will list kind of a primary source and then say, like, if this source, either this source or if this source doesn't report on it, a secondary source. But it's really important for, like, the traders that will participate in that market that they know kind of, you know, what that source will be. And there are times, so there are times where there could be kind of disputes on whether or not, like, even if you specify a source, whether or not they actually did report one way or another under like the constraints on, did they do it soon enough? Did they do it explicitly like in this way? Or was there something in like the description of the market, which might've been inter- interpreted another way? And in that case, we do have a dispute resolution system built into Zeitgeist. We have, or plan to have actually a few ranging from kind of the most centralized way to do it is to just specify someone who's authorized to do that, which is possible when you create a market, you can do that. You can say this market is authorized by XYZ, whether that's just some account, whether that's a market creator, or whether that's someone who's kind of established reputation on the, on the platform. 
But the going toward the more decentralized end of that, we're working on something called the court system. So this is a completely decentralized, permissionless way for people who hold the ZTG token to kind of stake themselves into the courts and then be called as jurors when a dispute happens and then help to kind of interpret and resolve any of the dispute that comes up. And, and one of the things we want to do with Zeitgeist is, is raise the bar on how people think about the accuracy of prediction markets. Because one of the things that, that bugs me, honestly, is when I see you know people looking at markets and not, without a sense of like how calibrated they are, if, if you've got markets on events and they're and they're a day before the event is known, you know, the market was was pointing in the right direction, you know, calling that a win. And and that's great. Maybe that's the best mechanism that could have aggregated the info. But, you know, really what, what you need to look at if you're going to, you know, base any kind of consequential decision on what the prediction market is saying is that, you know, how calibrated the market is and and you know we we use things like briar scores which is is a a, a way of act, measuring the the accuracy of probabilistic you know predictions and so that you could look at say if if a market has been open for a year you know how long over that over that lifetime of a year has the, has the market been pointing in the right direction when it comes to the actual the outcome and so when you look at things like briar scores you can have a much greater trust that what the market's telling you is the actual eventual outcome. And and there's other things we do as far as measuring, you know, the performance and track record of people in in Zeitgeist and on the protocol to see if they're, you know, if they've been a- accurate in the past and then participated, you know, in other predictions and how wrong or right they've been in those can can tell you how much to put into what they're saying now. This is this is a, a kind of a crazy question. But it's something I think about a lot. I don't know if you guys have seen Westworld. No? Okay. I wonder... So in Westworld Season 3, there is this massive AI that has the ability to determine like causality. I wonder if prediction markets, like if we have enough people using them, increasing data points, is if we can start to do some sort of regression analysis. Obviously, regression is correlation-based that can start to, you know, short-term, like give us information to start to watch reality unfold a little bit in advance like that is something i'm super curious about i think it gets a lot more possible like if we're in a in like a full-on vr metaverse where all data points are being interacted at all times but i think of like you know because the farther away you get from the the farther timeline of the prediction market the more entropy there is between what i said so it's always increasing right and i just wonder like how we can start to for for forecast more accurately right yeah Absolutely. I mean, we're about epistemological supremacy or really enabling that for the customers and users of Zeitgeist is, is, is saying, here's, here's where you can know as well as profit off what you know and, and being really the, the source for, for that information. So if I'm so, okay, we'll use the perfect use case. Actually, super sorry, guys. Do you mind if we pause real quick? I have to. So if so one of the things that I'm working on is I want to have, and this is a bit in the long term, but I, I believe that we're going to continue down the creator economy route. And so I think we're not going to think about people as viewers as much as we are going to think about people as fans. And there's a level of fan that in podcasting and creators, you end up spending almost more time than you spend with anybody else with that creator in your head, specifically in podcasting because they're so long. 
And I actually think you start to develop a very good sense, a skill, if you will, or at least knowledge, specific knowledge on what they're going to ask, say, the tone in which they're going to talk about. And I think it's something that we could start to reward people for just consuming mass amounts of content by having them do prediction markets on content. So my company is called Stoa. That's something we're thinking about in the long term, not not in the MVP. Like, how would I be able to work, use Zeitgeist's protocol to, to help build that? Like, what would the steps be at like a high level? Well, a few things come to mind because we're we've been actually spending some time on on content creation use cases, both for creators as well as as people consuming that. And 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 one is just it opens up a, a conversation you know, between the creator and that audience so that, you know, there's there's the content creators, you know, looking to make decisions about where to focus on. Should I do more content like this, less like that? I think, you know, the you can imagine people watching Twitch streams, taking positions on, you know, what's going to happen in the game or, or, or other other types of of scenarios along those lines. I think it would be interesting to see because, you know, the creator economy is, is quite large and, and getting larger quickly. It would I, I would love to see kind of a reputation market around, you know, there's, the, I think we've all run across people creating content where we happen to find them in a early stage in, in their career. And, and we, and we say to ourselves, you know, if this person was stock, I'd be buying them, you know, yep. or maybe, or maybe also, there's someone who is a celebrity, which we feel like is, you know, at some point just going to step in the wrong thing. And, and maybe we want to short, you know, celebrities that are going to, you know, fall out of favor. I think it would be, you know, interesting as well. Not, not to pick worse. on him, but I just got an image of Brendan Fraser. I don't know if you guys have seen him lately, but like, bro, I would short that for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I think, I think to your point of, you know, people that are, that are, you know, getting paid to contribute to these systems, you know, and that are, because they're consuming, they're aware of, you know, the world and what's going on in the world and the implications, you know, they kind of have this, you know, all these inferences that they can derive from, from this information that they're, they're, that they're viewing and consuming that, yeah, you could see an economy shape up like that. And, and are you building Zeitgeist in such a way that like, for lack of a better term, like I could come in like API through and like use you as a prediction market, or are you guys kind of building all of the use cases internally? Yeah, it's both. I mean, it's a platform, but we also are building our own apps and and one of the one of the products of of the protocol is an SDK where like you said developers and entrepreneurs can come in and and build what they want on Zeitgeist. That's awesome. Very very excited to hear that. Have you had any talks with other people in the in the ecosystem? Like the the first thing that comes to mind is just for like integrating with like Talisman or something. I just see you know, so many ways that you can start to integrate into different places. But I think that there's like a really, a really cool story that'll start coming out as we, as we, the SDK starts to shape up. And as, as more applications are built on Zeitgeist that are other than our own, where people will start to see the power of what, what exactly we're building. That's awesome. Do you want to go into any of them or keep it still for future days? Maybe for future days for now, just because I'd rather like see some of the things that we've got in the works come to a place where it's like exciting. And then there's nothing that's like really full on built out yet that I, I would feel like, hey, this is going to be launched in the next like month and I'm ready to talk about it. But yeah, definitely coming, coming within the next like 
three to six months, you should see some some a lot of different stuff coming out from us in, in terms of like integrations. Yeah, one of the things I, I've, I'm proud of is in the in the Web3 world, you know, there's a lot of perspectives, aspirational things talked about, which is great. You know, I'm willing to talk about the future and what we're excited about and, and, and kind of these big abstract things. But we tend to hold back on what we talk about until we're, we're pretty much ready, you know, to go just because we, you know, don't want to be yet another Vapor Web3 organization. So I think we're doing a good job at that. Yeah, as someone like pretty NFT oriented, it's uh, pretty funny to see what has happened in the last six months. It's actually something, and I want to know how you guys feel about this, just general bearable discussion. But I feel so much more empowered right now because when I was talking about Stoa as a concept six months ago, it was kind of embarrassing anytime I talked to anybody about it because it was just, oh, NFT, like you're a scam immediately. Do you know what I mean? And now that it isn't like that. I'm finding I can have way more serious conversations with investors. I can have way more serious conversations with people wanting to build it. And I feel like I'm making way more progress than I was in the bull. How do you guys feel about being something that has, you know, the actual application has now come out this week in a time period when markets tend to be down and there's not as much hype? Like, do you think that's a good or a bad? Where Where is your guys' head around that? Personally, I think it's a really good thing because we're going to be heads down still focused on what we've been focused on for the last you know 12 plus months is which is you know building what we we think well not just what we think but with the community and and alongside everybody what's needed for our project and it, it actually cut back in the same way that you're talking about cut back a lot of the noise and now the real people with real like real issues that are you know or real real not just issues but just real contributions to the project are coming around and so so from my perspective it's been positive i mean there's obviously lots of less people which isn't positive but i think we've got some good ideas around when we are ready to get more people involved so i think now it just gives us time to to refine what we already have to like continue to refine the product because the product was launched just a couple days ago this week Right. And there's gonna there's gonna be a huge push and huge focus on that now and, and continue to be a focus on the the way that we build our SDK, the the tooling that we make better for different partners and different things that we're doing. So from my perspective, it's super encouraging. I've been through bear markets before, know how it is, it's the best time for building. I love that. Do you how do you guys feel about the .sama ecosystem in general? I know Logan, Hutch specifically, been in it for a minute. How do we feel about you know topical news? Try not to be too topical generally, but about the merge that just went down in the last two days. I know those are two completely separate things. So either anybody wants to tackle either one would be great. Yeah, I think the merge was a huge deal, and and I think it's. Like it's been a long time. Like I started out in the Ethereum community, and I'm still like, don't give a ton of time to that, but I'm still like, you know, keeping up to date with all that stuff and still using ETH a lot of the time for different DeFi things. And I think like finally getting to the point where the merge happened and there wasn't any significant issues was yeah just a huge achievement. And and I think everybody you know in the, in the blockchain crypto industry like celebrated that whether or not you're working directly on as far as like the dot sama ecosystem goes like 
On the other hand, right, like Polkadot has been proof of stake for, you know, two years almost, and Kusama even longer than that. So the Polkadot ecosystem has been... Can I just pause real quick? There's a, So there's a lot of people who listen who are in Web3, but there's also a lot who not. Can you just do like super high level proof of work versus proof of stake? What the Ethereum merge meant? Oh, sure. So yeah, so proof of work is the kind of original consensus mechanism invented by Satoshi for Bitcoin. And how it works is that there is increasing difficulty for creating the next block. And the way that you hit this difficulty, which is kind of just a measure of compute power, is by just computing a lot, like just spending a lot of compute by generating hashes until you find the right hash. So how this scaled out over you know the last 10 years from Bitcoin's creation was that um, you had you had blockchain systems consuming huge amounts of energy because there's literal data centers filled with computers just running these hashes and just turning energy into into hashes. So what proof of stake innovated was allowing for a consensus mechanism to instead of using compute power as its kind of primitive, allowing for economic security through staking the native token. So it's much more energy efficient because you don't need to have literal data centers filled with useless computers. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a much more efficient in that way. And then so the merge was essentially Ethereum going from proof of work to proof of stake. for Exactly, exactly. And then so with the Dotsama ecosystem already being there, how do you feel about someone who's building in that space, having Ethereum coming more this direction? So Ethereum has been going this direction from almost the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it wasn't a surprise. It, was, it wasn't, uh, I, I think the only thing that might have been a bit of a surprise is just how long it took. But given the fact that it went off without a hitch this week, like, you know, there's, yeah, there's no blame there or anything. I, so... I, I think it makes sense. I, I don't think someone could continue to operate a blockchain on proof of work. And I'm sure like it's probably isn't what like Bitcoin Maxis want to hear. But I still think it is kind of an unsolved problem of how you sustain a blockchain network running off proof of work after the after the issuance has stopped. And, you know, the proposed answer is that transaction fees will continue that. But I, I, I think it's still an unsolved problem that proof of work networks will have to face at some point in their future. I don't think, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's something that won't be addressable, but I do think it's going to be a significant issue when it does come around. But I I think moving to proof of stake is, you know, one solution to that. It's, it's a way to continue scaling out a blockchain network without consuming huge amounts of energy. So I don't, you know, I, I, I think it's great that Ethereum has moved to proof of stake. And why did you choose to move over into the Web3 Foundation? Like, what was the, what did you find attractive about Polkadot and Kusama? Yeah, so one thing was the, so the vision of, of Dr. Gavin Wood was, the, was one of the founders of Ethereum and the founder of Polkadot and Web3 Foundation. And like um, wrote Solidity, like wrote literally the book, Mastering Ethereum. He's on, right. he's, he's, his name's there. Yep. Basically like defined the specs of Ethereum early on. And one thing was his vision. I think he was trying to push the, what a blockchain could do 
further, faster than what the Ethereum community was doing. But also I had kind of this like just very practical complaint at the time of like I was coding Solidity. I was making dApps on Ethereum and I was getting to the point where I wanted to make more and more complex things. And the EVM as an environment felt more and more constrained over what you can do. And that's kind of what pushed me toward looking more at the Polkadot ecosystem because they had a blockchain framework called Substrate. And, and for those who might not know how the Polkadot architecture works, it, the, the way how the architecture looks is like there's a, a relay chain and parachains. So what Substrate does is it, it it's a framework for building the relay chain for building Polkadot itself, but it's also the framework for building these parachains, which operate parallel to the relay chain. And it's kind of how Polkadot scales. So I looked at that, I thought, or I, I, I could see that it was a much more powerful development tool than the EVM environment. You could tweak more things about how a blockchain works in the substrate environment. You could create blockchains that don't even really look like blockchains if you wanted to. I mean, Polkadot could still validate them. So I was really drawn in by the by the ability for application developers to have much more control over how their blockchain looks, how their blockchain operates, what they're able to do when they're not constrained by just what we have in the EVM. Okay, cool. I, that's what I've heard like a lot. You know, I think Agile felt very, very similarly to that. You know, it, it's hard as someone who is trying to now meet somebody to help me build in the space. Cause I think like the amount of substrate actual like devs is incredibly small. <laughs> I don't know the exact number you guys probably would know better than I. Do you have any, any tips or advice or thoughts for someone who wants to build in the space? One to, you know, meet more people, find someone who has a shared vision, someone who wants to build in it. Question one, question two also like thinking about how to raise money in the space, especially when it's like more of a mission-based company, any long-term players you'd recommend to look at and talk to? So to address the first part of that question first, so how does someone who's interested in Substrate find their community, learn learn more about the code and, and how to use it? So there are a lot of great resources from Parity and from Web3 Foundation, learning resources that are available online to help do that. But what I found is that if you're, so if you're trying to build something, like if, you, if you're reading the docs for Substrate and you still don't really understand how to do something, there, there's a, like a Substrate group on Element Chat. And this is where all the Substrate devs hang out at. And it's a great place to just say, hey, I'm building this thing. It's I, called Element Chat? Yeah, element.io maybe. Yeah, element.io. Okay. You'll find the link to that chat room in the substrate doc somewhere. And it's, it's a great place to go. Say I'm running into this problem and have the people who actually wrote the code, like, ex like explain to you what, how, what you can do to like move forward from that. That's I awesome. thought I'd also mention the, the fact that especially in .sama and the .sama ecosystem, you like the kind of way that I view it is either you can be a potential like parachain founder and somebody who wants to build an application specific blockchain or you can be somebody who wants to build on top of those application specific blockchains so this is happening like there's very much a like a lot of adoption happening for example on moonbeam you know there's a, a awesome ecosystem supporting the evm and i think that 
what we're going to see that's going to take some time for sure. It took time. It's taken time with any ecosystem to grow like this is, is the adoption of builders on these parachains themselves and in, in different ways beyond, beyond EVM compatibility. Because for a lot of builders, I mean, the building time was probably a lot quicker with the existing tooling and lots of other things. But I think as things progress over the next, you know, two or three years, we're going to see a lot more of this support for builders on top of different parachains that exist in the Polkadot ecosystem and for there to be like really cool ways to do that. So we're definitely going to be doing that at Zeitgeist. Like we're trying to make our SDK where, you know, anybody can come in and build some sort of functionality if they need it for an application they're building and build their own application on top of our framework. And we're going to be actively doing things to help help that happen that's awesome and then with like any tips for either like how you guys went about the fundraising process i know you guys both were very integrated into the ecosystem but any thoughts or like things to look at so my general advice would just be to to look at other projects and who invested into those projects especially looking at the ones that have been around for maybe are still around now like through the, through the full cycle, full cycle, like who are, who's, who's that, who, like that, I mean, that's one good filter just to see like, who's going to stick around. Right. Is like, yep. who's actually still investing today that was investing back during the bull cycle. Yeah. Just see, see, you'll start recognizing names. If you're researching who's investing into other projects and you'll start to see if they pop up a few times, then you know, they're more likely than not they're, they're a good one, but uh, yeah, I mean, also cross-check, you know, <laughs> how long they've been around because there are like, there are like, you know, investors that will pop up just for the bull cycle and they're in it for the short term and really sussing that out is more of a issue during the bull cycle, but uh, is, you definitely should. Cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. That's actually, all those things are very helpful for me personally and hopefully for people in the audience. So hopefully a win-win there. Are there any other... Oh, and you guys, if I remember correctly, a few months ago launched a fund of sorts or I guess like a grant program for people with Akala. Is that... Am I remembering that correctly? So we're part of the AUSD fund initiative that's that's driving adoption to the parachain ecosystems. Yes, that is correct. So if somebody listening wants to apply, go through that process, like where would they find it? How would they do it? I believe that it's, I'm not 100% sure if it's completely set up yet. We'll have to reach back out and see because there's definitely ongoing stuff with Akala right now. We haven't recently, we haven't gotten anything back yet from that program that they run. I think they've got an open place for anybody to apply though, is what they have a link. And then we're working together with them for some future initiatives as well in regards to that with doing different things on our markets and, and some other stuff in the future. But yeah. Sweet. I will uh, just hit up Dan and get the link if it exists and have it in the show notes for listeners. Yeah, but we do we do actually have on our new website that we released like a builder page for people that are wanting to build with Zeitgeist. There's like a form that people can fill out and we we definitely are reaching out to teams, talking to people. Sweet. And that's on Zeitgeist. That's right. Sweet. Awesome. We'll throw that in the show notes as well. Dope, guys. Is there anything else that you think we missed or want to talk through with prediction markets, with Zeitgeist, with where you guys are heading, what you're excited about, where people should go? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few things that I'm very excited about. I mean, the fact that we're launched, we're we're seeing users come in, markets being created. You know, we're we're we've at this got a team of 30 people working in a process for for developing and deploying prediction market software. So we've got a lot of things that we're we've been working on that that are that are coming out as well as as other other things that we're looking forward to to see. We're just pushing the 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 advancing the state of the art of, of, of prediction markets. One one of those things in particular are combinatorial prediction markets. So basically allows you to make composable prediction markets where you can we you can have conditional estimates. And so if you think of you know a traditional prediction market is this binary yes or no, you know, outcome, will this thing happen? Yes or no? You, well with combinatorics you can actually have multiple you know, however many binary markets all linked together into into a single binary. So, like, what's the what's the probability that this this happens and that doesn't happen, and this happens? You know, what's what's the 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 single likelihood that all of that you know happens as a scenario? So you can be more much more expressive, and it's much more efficient as far as liquidity, and just you know adds a lot. It's it's vastly more powerful than kind of the traditional prediction market paradigm. So, I love that for mapping reality. Like that yeah, seems like exactly. being able to solve that is exciting. Yeah, to me. yeah, it, it creates a much higher resolution sort of state of the fe- you know future state of the world, and uh, so we're you know it's that's something we are working on it. It's it's going to be a bit before you know it's something we're announcing you know out publicly, but we that's very excited about that. That's great. That's great. All right, Logan. I told you I'd ask this question in the beginning, but you know when we were when we were at the different. Maybe it was a parody of it. I don't remember. But when I was asking, okay, okay, I'm learning computer science, JavaScript, whatnot. Like I just had a conversation with somebody and they told me to go learn. I even forget. But then you said the thing I should actually try to understand deeply is big O notation. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So big O notation is just a way to kind of express how an algorithm will scale given, given increasing input. So... It's a computer science kind of study. It's, you know, people study, you know, algorithmic complexity. And it's super useful, I think, for any programmer or developer to learn because it gives you a way to see the code, to to estimate how much computation your code that you wrote is going to do. And... Like for in the web, like in JavaScript, this isn't all the time super important. Sometimes it is. Other times it might just be a bit more in the realm of optimization. But in blockchain context specifically, where each block has a very limited amount of compute, it's almost like it's almost like coding for hardware where you have just limited resources that we can put inside of a block because... You know, it's a decentralized network and all the nodes need to run this. It's super important to understand how your how the code you're writing is going to scale with additional input. Like we we do we, we have a lot of discussions internally on our tech team about we're implementing a new transaction type on Zeitgeist. How is this going to scale if someone gives it a big input? And how can we make sure that it will fit inside of a block? And it's actually a problem that comes up in substrate development pretty often. Like you benchmark your code to see how, how long it runs, but you also need to have, have the ability to determine whether this will outrun a block 
if someone tries to provide, like if, if it maybe accesses storage and there's a lot of items in storage. So it's a concept that I think a lot of developers and engineers, especially if they're self-taught, don't always learn and don't always incorporate into their, into their studies. But I think it's, it's one of the things that I, I really think sets the, like creates a difference between like a good programmer and a great programmer, like a great programmer will understand like big O notation and complexity. They don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be an expert. They don't have to be writing academic papers on it, but they understand it enough to be able to make how their code will, will scale with bigger inputs. One, one layman example I came across that I found was super fascinating was, is like this myth, right? Of like, there is a wise man who went to a king and the king was like, you saved us so you can have anything you want. And the wise man was like, I want the amount of grain that will like, if you look at a chessboard, I want two grain, two pieces of grain on the first square. And then for every square, I want it to double. And the king was like, cool, that's not going to be that much. That's fine. It's on a chessboard. But it ended up being like, you know, two to the 64th, which was just like a massive amount of grain. Like he didn't realize what was going on and what amount, the amount of actual, like essentially if we then translate it back, like data it would consume, like how much consumption would be done by processing that. Exactly. Right. Like in that case, like it scales exponentially. And, and a lot of the times you don't want something like you don't want your algorithm to scale exponentially because you just end up with spending a lot of tons of compute or mm-hmm. way more grain than you bargained for. Yeah. So that's a good example. Ty, any last words, pieces of advice for someone just starting out to build in Web3? I'd say depending on, you know, you don't have to be a programmer. I think, you know, this space, while early yet, is is a space where people who don't know how to program can jump in, you know, get in forums, Discord, read docs, and, and start building, start making connections. And, and I would say that, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, financing and, and raising capital, you know, investors love to see just even if it's a just a very simple bench top, not even fully working version, but that that you can kind of put a model on the table of here's how the machine, you know, would work. You know, that's that's very, very fundable. And there's a lot of, you know, resources out there waiting for those kind of opportunities. Awesome. I really appreciate your guys' time. Enjoyed it. Learned a lot. Where can people go find you? Where do you want to send listeners of this to learn more about Zeitgeist, interact with the platform, all that good stuff? Zeitgeist.pm should have everything anyone needs. Goes straight into our app. We have our community as well and Discord, which our Discord's actually a really awesome place because there we just deployed a way for people to discuss about market creation ideas they want to discuss prior to actually deploying them there in the Discord. So it's also linked on the website. It's like guys.pm. Sweet. And I'll have the that link and the Discord link in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the time and I hope y'all seize the day and survive Logan, the Puerto Rican storm and uh, enjoy, enjoy the weekend. All right, guys. Thanks, Scott. It was great. Of course. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Scott. Make sure to ask Dan about element chat to get his uh, opinion on it. Okay. Well, for sure. (laughs) 